All right. Good to see each one this morning. You have your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. We're on our third lesson in a lesson that we've entitled Keys to Acquiring the Promised Land. And like I say, you know, though this is, uh, you know, this uh, lesson is, has to do with the nation of Israel crossing over to their promised land. As I've told you throughout this study, I believe that God has a promised land for each and every church. And I think God has a promised land for each and every individual. So as we're going through this, you know, you may be able to apply this to yourself personally. We may be able to apply this self, uh, you know, uh, this to ourselves as a church. And other churches who view us may need to see that, hey, we need to make some adjustments if we're going to acquire the promised land that God has for us. So as we come to this third study, you know, we've seen the willingness of the people to follow their leader to that land that God has promised them. Now, though, though it's going to be uncharted waters, in other words, they've never done it this way before. Boy, that sounds Baptist, whatever that word is. You know, that's the way we as Baptists, uh, you know, look at things. We've never done it this way before because lot, no, most people don't like going into uncharted waters because in order to go into uncharted waters, we got to get out of our comfort zone. And as individuals and as a church, many times we, we like that comfort zone. We like being where we know what everything is going on. We don't like stepping out in uncharted waters. But folks, that is what faith in God is all about. Stepping out in uncharted waters. Going places we've never been before as we're being led by God and His Holy Spirit. So what we see here is, you know, we we ended last week's study by with the people that are camped at Jordan, okay? Remember, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to follow their first leader Moses and cross over the Jordan so they had to go in the wilderness now here they are 40 years later with a new leader by the name of Joshua and last week we ended with them camped at Jordan the priests are in place remember they was instructed for the priest to take up the ark get a hundred yards in front of everyone else and now they're just waiting on word from their leader to cross over everything is set everyone is in place and though looking at the the Jordan River out of its banks. Remember, we seen last week that it's it's you know it's it's out of its banks, so it's some thousand yards across now. Okay, and now they're standing here at the banks, the river out of its bank here, and as as the people did not know how they're going to get across, they had faith that their leader was following God. And listen, as long as the leader is following God, folks. You can go places as a church. You can go places as an individual that you think is impossible. And I will assure you that many of those people standing at that River Jordan that day as it was out of its banks, many of those probably thought this is impossible, but we're going to stick around and see what happens. You know, isn't that the way we are many times? You know, we just, well, I don't believe this, but let me just stick around and see what happens. That's a negative attitude. So I'm sure there were some there that day with a negative attitude, just, Let's see what is going to happen here. But Joshua told him, if you'll remember in verse 5, he said, Now I want you to sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow you're going to see the Lord do great wonders among you. So here they are, the overflowing River Jordan, 
waiting to see what happens next. Let's get started today in in, uh, Joshua 3, beginning with verse 7. Let's look at the promise of the passage through the Jordan by God. These verses, in essence, reinforce the concept of grace when you look at them. They they show that uh, crossing Jordan and overcoming the enemy is the work of God, and it begins with sanctification. If we're going to see God work within our life, folks, this begins with us sanctifying ourselves. Now, what does that mean? That means setting ourselves apart for the service of God, setting ourselves apart for how God wants to use us. You know, and that's what he told the people. The things that we do in sanctification here, in this sanctification process, you know, are, are not works of righteousness that merit God's favor, but they're, they're done in order to overcome the enemy. You see, the act of sanctification, like confession, Okay, it removes any barriers to God's power. In other words, when we sanctify ourselves, when we set ourselves apart for the service of God, that will remove any barrier of of God's power that he wants to give to us to carry out the tasks that he gives us, you know, to his fellowship. and, And it in turn prepares our heart to receive God's grace. You know, it further, you know, rebuilds or builds, should we say, our faith so that we are willing to put our foot in the water and we're willing to cross over and be willing to go up against any obstacle, any enemy that may be before us. That's what sanctification will do for us in our life. And that's why before they could go across any farther, Joshua told them in verse 5, you know, that they must sanctify themselves unto the Lord. And as we pointed out last week, we must, before we cross over our Jordan, come before the presence of the Lord and sanctify ourselves before him. Now, let's look at this promise of Joshua in verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. God is making Joshua a promise here that what you see done today is going to cause the people to know just how good of a leader you are because you are willing to follow me. To be effective, folks, leaders need to have the right credentials. And what are the right credentials for a successful leader? I hate to hurt anyone's feelings. It's not Bible college. It's not, uh, you know, uh, seminary. What makes a leader have the right credentials in following God is a sound foundation in the Word of God and to have the hand of God upon their life. Let me tell you, that'll take you a whole lot further than any education you can ever have. Now, it is time, you know, that God establishes Joshua as his representative to guide this nation so God is about to do something great and marvelous. You see, the promise to Joshua, it, it, is, it's a, it is significant that God was to be the one to exalt Joshua. Listen, a leader can never exalt themselves. If the leader is attempting to exalt themselves, folks, they're not a leader controlled by God. They're a leader controlled by, you know, self. They're a leader controlled by pride. God was wanting Joshua to know, you're going to be exalted, but I am the one that is going to exalt you. Look at, uh, he says this, uh, uh, this day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel. 
On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Again, our tendency sometimes is to exalt ourselves. But Joshua, when he began reporting God's communication to the people, okay, he said nothing about the promise that God made to him personally that God was going to exalt him. He didn't come before the people and say, God's going to exalt me, therefore you follow me. No, he never brought that up. You know, he, in reporting God's communication to him, he said nothing about that promise of uh, him being exalted. Rather, when reporting the words of God to Israel, he focused their attention on the fact that the living God, Jehovah, you know, the living God who is among us, you know, it is he, God, and he alone that's going to get us across this river. It's he and he alone that is going to help us defeat the enemy. Now, what was the command of the priest? Look at verse 8. And thou, speaking to the priest, or speaking to Joshua, shall command the priest that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, what God told Joshua, I want you to tell the priest, when they get right up to the water's edge, just kind of put the foot in the water's edge. Again, now if you can get a picture, this thing is about a thousand yards wide now. To kind of give you an idea of that, uh, a football field is what, 300 yards? Okay, triple that plus. That's how wide this was. So as they was at that river, they was looking, I mean, way across there. And God told the priest via Joe, uh, Joshua, just tell them to put their foot right there in the water. Just get up there to the river's edge and put your feet right there in the water. So since it was the priest who was carrying the ark, and since it was the ark that represented God's power and God's person, they alone was to take that ark to the water's edge and be still. Haven't we heard before God command, be still and know that I am God? You know, sometimes when we're trying to cross our personal river Jordan, Sometimes we just got to be still and go before the presence of God to have God instruct us and guide us. Now, what do we gather from this? It reminds us of our part in the plan of God. What is our part? We must learn to step out in faith and obedience to the principles and promises of God's word. That's our part. Look, God's part is to take care of that river Jordan that's in front of you. Whatever that River Jordan is in front of you personally this morning, it's God's responsibility to take care of that. Whatever the River Jordan is before any church, it's God's responsibility to take care of that. Your responsibility, my responsibility, the responsibility of the church is simply to step out in faith and obedience to the principles and the promises of God's Word. That's our responsibility. Don't worry about the waters. Don't worry about what's before us. You see, it reminds us of, uh, 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 of the need to rest in God's promises. You know, they, they were not to run down to that water's edge. You know, it's just like the words of Moses when he, when he, when he come to the Red Sea and the Red Sea was before them. And as they looked around, they seen Pharaoh's army coming with all those chariots behind them. Moses uh, said to the people, do not fear. 
Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. He will accomplish for you today great and mighty things. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you're never going to see them again. Now think about that. That's what Moses told the people when they was at the Red Sea. Yeah, you see all them chariots that's coming after you. You see this Red Sea that is before you. He said, but just watch this Red Sea because God's fixing to do something with it. And see those chariots and all that army of Pharaoh coming behind you? Guess what, guys? You're never going to see them again. Did they see them again after they crossed the Red Sea? No. What happened when they got in the Red Sea? The sea covered them up. Listen, God will take care of your enemies. Okay? God will take care of your enemies. Again, your responsibility is to learn to step out in faith, be obedient to God and his promises to you. Sometimes the best thing we can do, you know, is just to keep our mouth shut and let God do his work. In other words, zip it up and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, the next thing we see here is the command of the Lord to the people. Verse 9. The command of God to the people was hear the words of the Lord. Okay, just hear the words of the Lord. Joshua said to the children, verse 9, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. You see, the focus in verse 9 is on hearing what the Lord has to say. You know why many people within our churches are never able to cross that Jordan that's in their life? You know why many churches are never to get across that Jordan that they're facing in their life? It's because they're refusing to hear the words of the Lord. And you know why many refuse to hear the words of the Lord? It's because the words that the Lord is speaking goes against what they're wanting in their life. If they would be honest with themselves, they're content in the wilderness. If they would be honest in their self, they're, they're, they're content in the familiar. Folks, listen, the moment we get content in the familiar, we'll never reach what God has for us as an individual or as a church. We must always be willing to step out in faith and trust God. So the focus here in verse 9 is listen to what God has to say. In this, you know, we can see the concept of Romans ten seventeen, where God, uh, Paul said, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God. You know, what we can learn, what can we learn about leadership from this? We can learn this. The authority of leaders among God's people needs to be the Word of God. Listen, again. The authority of leaders among God's people, needs to be, must be, has to be the Word of God rather than their personality, rather than their charisma, or whatever happens to appeal the people. I will assure you there's many leaders standing behind pulpits this morning, okay, who their authority is only in the charisma that they have. They're, they're, the, the way they're able to just, uh, you know, speak and, and get the people to flock to them. They're great orators, so to speak, you know. But the authority of a great leader, folks, okay, is the Word of God. 
and that leader standing behind the Word of God. They were also encouraged, the second thing here is to know what that God is with you and among you and will drive out the enemy before you. Look at verse 10, and Joshua said, Hereby you shall know the living God is among you. In other words, here's how God is going to prove himself, that he's with you. And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Parasites and the Gerserites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. You say, who are all them people? Let me tell you, if they're an ite, they're bad folks, okay? If they're an ite, they ain't no good. And God says, you know, I'm going to be among you. You watch how I handle all of these ites, if you please. Remember last week we said that just because we're in the will of God doesn't mean that our road is going to be easy. Some people think, well, as long as I'm in the will of God, everything's going to go rosy in my life. No, it will not. So just look at the people that they were going to have to face. There's a whole list of them, you know. And this was not going to be an easy task, but they understood that God would be with them. And if God was with them, who could be against them? And here's a thought. Had they have chose to cross that Jordan 40 years prior? In other words, had they chose to cross the Jordan when Moses was their leader? Okay, 40 years earlier there wouldn't have been as big of an army to face. Think about that. These ites had had 40 years to grow their army, to grow their people. So if they would have crossed initially, the battle wouldn't have been near as bad as the battle turned out to be. Here's my point and what I mean by that. We now have another generation of people for them to go up against. So the point is this. The longer that we wait to enter the promised land, the longer we wait to make that decision that I am going to follow God across this river Jordan, the longer we wait to enter that promised land, the more obstacles we're going to face when we do decide to cross over. Think about that. But in all of this, they understood the truth that the battle is the Lord's. You see, it is God's presence as the one and only true living God that sustains believers regardless of what life might throw our way. And again, let me point this out. You can be in the will of God and life still throws some bad stuff your way. Always understand that. Never just say, well, I must have made God mad when things are happening to us, whether it's health or, you know, whatever it might be, financial situations, you know, death of loved ones, whatever it might be. Never say, I must have done something wrong. Because you can be in the will of God, and life's going to always throw curveballs. That's going to always throw. That's just the way life is. That's just the way it is. So always understand that. No matter what might seem like an obstacle before us, we have to trust in the Lord. No matter what might seem like a defeat in our life, God is with you. God will go before you. The, the key is stay focused on his presence and rest in the power and the grace and the mercy of God. Now let's look at verses 14 through 17, the passage by the power of God. And it came to pass, verse 14. When the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, 
and the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as they bear, they that bear the ark were come up unto Jordan, the feet of the priest that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For again, the Jordan was overflowing its banks at the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above and rose up upon an heap very far from the city of Adam, that is beside Zeratan, and uh, those that came downward to the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed over the Jordan. So the priests, they put their feet in the water. God parted the water. God sucked up all the mud, evidently, because it says they went across on what kind of ground? Dry ground. The priests got right in the middle of that thousand-yard passage. They stood there holding the ark where all could view the ark, which was representative of the power of God, the presence of God. They marched across on dry ground. God had promised, today you're going to see something miraculous. Do you think they did? You better believe they did. So crossing the Jordan here at at flood stage, in other words, when it looked impossible with two million people saw God work a miraculous thing. So what did these two million people do? What was the results of this? First of all, the first result was God was magnified. As they walked across on dry ground, the first thing, God was magnified, you know, because this miracle was as great as when the people crossed the Red Sea. Now thinking, let me, let me just throw something out here for you to think about. There was two million people plus. Now, if you're going to move two million people through a river, how wide would that path have to be? I mean, could you move three or two million people through a three-foot-wide path? Boy, if you did, it's going to take a while, wouldn't it? What about six foot? What if God would have just, you know, six foot of that Red Sea, you know, caused to grow dry? You still, it would take forever to get two million people with all their stuff past that River Jordan. So when you study verse 16, look at verse 16, you find that it was not just a six-foot path. It was not just an eight-foot path of riverbed that dried up. Rather, it was 20 to 30 miles. Now you say, how far is 20 to 30 miles? It would be from the south side of Lufkin to the north side of Nacogdoches. That'll kind of give you a picture of how wide of a path that God dried up in that Red Sea. 20 to 30 miles. You say, preacher, how do you know it was 20 to 30 miles? You know, because, look at this. It says he dried up the Jordan from the city of Adam. Get you a map out. Find the city of Adam. All the way to the Salt Sea. When you find that distance, you'll find it to be somewhere between 20 and 30 miles wide. Now, can you move 2 million people in a distance as wide as from Lufkin to Nacogdoches pretty quick? Yes, you can. 
Do you think that was not a miraculous feat on the part of God? You better believe it was. The second thing that happened is Joshua was exalted. Boy, the people looked at the leader and said, wow, God is with him. And why is God with him? Because of his charisma? Because of his ability to speak? No, God is with him because he stood on the word of God when God said, trust me. Okay, as a result of the work of God, Joshua was exalted because he knew, or the people knew, he was really following God in his word. Now, the third thing we see here is the people. God was magnified. Joshua was exalted. The people were energized and motivated, folks. I will assure you, when they seen that water starting to just disappear, and they seen the mud turn into dust, don't you think that motivated the people? Don't you think that that energized the people? You know, you know, you you, you don't know that uh, we don't know when a, fee, a priest put their uh, foot in the water how quickly that river dra- bed dried up. But with God working, folks, it could have happened that quick. It could have happened that quick. And those on the end, they could see the water heaping up in the air. Can't you just imagine that all they were thinking is charge? Let's go. They were energized, folks. Can I tell you something? There's nothing wrong with Christian people get in, to get energized and just, just say, charge the enemy. Let's defeat them. Let me tell you that. The people were energized. They were motivated. And these people were ready. If Joshua would have said to them, if he would have passed out water uh, pistols to all two million of those people and said, let's charge hell and put hell out with these water pistols. Let me tell you, at this point, they would have followed him to hell. To put out the flames of hell. That's how excited the people were. That's how excited they were. Folks, what happened to the excitement in our churches about what God can do? Me and Brother Danny has talked a number of times how you just don't see the excitement in our churches, you know, like we did years ago to where the excitement caused people to come forward and accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Because the excitement that was in the people of God, you know, is letting others know that God is still at work. When you look at most churches today, you know, they don't have any, they don't have any evidence that God is still alive. They don't have any evidence within that church that God is still on His throne. They don't have any evidence today that God's mighty power is still saving lost people from the devil's hell. Because the excitement is no longer in the people of God. And I think the one reason the excitement is no longer in the people of God and we're not seeing people saved within our churches is because the people are not hearing the Word of God and being obedient to it and applying it to their life. These people heard the word of God. These people responded to the word of God. These people was obedient and following their leader across that river Jordan. And it excited the people. But you know what the other thing is? The fourth thing is the enemy. The enemy were terrorized. Don't you imagine those that was on the other side seeing all this take place? I believe there was terror in their lives. Terror in their hearts. Can't you just imagine the faces of the enemy? You know, I, I can just see them standing there saying, uh-oh, uh-oh. You know what? They had done more, the enemy, than just wake up a sleeping giant. You know, at Pearl Harbor, what happened? The Japanese woke up a sleeping giant and paid the consequences of it. 
Let me tell you, there was more than just a sleeping giant woke up that day. And the people, the enemy knew it. They knew we're about to face the true and living God. And it wasn't going to be pretty. You see, the people had taken the first step to acquiring that which God had promised them years before the previous generation. They had allowed a negative spirit to overtake the camp. And a sad thing about it, many of our churches are being overtaken by negative spirits. Again, the biggest thing is we've never done it that way before. We've never done it that way before. Had God ever done it the way he did it that day before at the, at the Red Sea? But, you know, God had done it before. That generation wasn't there to see it. Okay? They probably heard about it. But they wasn't there to see it. So this was something new to them too. It was new. Could it be true? You better believe it could be true. Look, there's some new stuff that can be true, folks. Okay? New stuff that can be true. They were moving forward. They were where, you know, following Joshua, their leader. Joshua said, you know, remove yourself from this place and let's go at it. There was a determination in that congregation. There was excitement within that congregation. You know, there was a spirit of we can do it. And I think that's the spirit that's missing in our churches today, that we can do it. With the power of God and following God. You know, not an attitude of, again, we've never done it that way before. Or there's too many battles that we'll have. If we go there, Pastor, there's just too many battles we're going to have to face. You know, if we do that, Pastor, we're going to lose some folks. <sighs> Let me see if this can come out right. Probably won't, but that's okay. It won't be the first time I ever said something that won't come out right. You know what? There's some churches that have some people they need to lose. Okay, there are some churches that have some people they need to lose because it is those people with the negative spirit that is keeping that church from crossing the Jordan that God has for them. Uh, let me give you an example. When we uh, were still in our old building, we put together a, a building committee and we went around and looked at various churches and you know, we, we went up to Athens and looked at a church. We went down to uh, uh, Porter and looked at a church, went on down a little bit further. I don't know. We looked at four or five churches. And the last one we looked at down around Houston, you know, we was kind of getting an idea of what we wanted, you know, looking at various churches and getting some ideas. And when we was in the last church that we looked at down there in Houston, this one lady that was on the building committee, you know, she said, this is nice. And her next words were, but let's get back to reality. In other words, let's go back to Lufkin and get back to reality. You know what? That lady was not willing to cross the Jordan with us. And that lady never seen this new building. Not because she died. Because she was not willing to cross the Jordan with us. Because she said there will be too many battles to, uh, to face. I said the battle's not ours. The battle is, who's the battle belong to? Okay. But no, she left. Wasn't willing to pay what it was going to cost to cross Jordan. Hey, God has blessed us. God has blessed us. 
Because we was willing to make the effort to cross over Jordan. Am I saying that it's, I'm glad that person left? No, I'm not glad that person left. That was a good person, nice person, okay? But I was glad that that spirit left. Because when she left, there was about 20 others with negative spirit left too. And that's when God really started moving. That's why I say there's some churches that the door just needs to be open to some. I know that sounds mean. I know that sounds ugly coming from a pastor. But I've been doing this over 30 years. And in two instances I've seen when negative people leave, the church grows. Okay? Uh, Let's move on from there. God was giving them the land is what we see. So though they would possess the land, it would entail hard-fought battles. And that's what some aren't willing to do. Even individuals aren't willing to face those long, hard battles. It would entail a battle after battle. Crossing the River Jordan meant two things for Israel. First of all, they must be totally committed to going against the armies. Okay? They must be totally committed to go against the chariots in those fortified cities they were going to have to face. But then, if they were to be successful, they must also be committed to focus on a walk of faith with God, okay, rather than walking according to the flesh in their own resources that they had. So what we see in this miracle of the crossing of Jordan is a repeat of the crossing of the Red Sea. It shows us that God has the same power to finish the salvation of his people as it began. So God brought them up out of Egypt's bondage with a miracle, and he brought them into the promised land with another miracle. Now, again, who knows how long the priest stood there in the river before that water opened? We're not told, but again... I believe God, the moment they, their feet touched that water, I believe God started rolling back those seas for a distance of 20 to 30 miles. And I believe immediately the mud was gone. The water was just, the, the, the water was sucked up out of the mud to leave dry ground for them to walk upon. You know, we, here's the problem. We, we usually want the river to be totally dry before we make a step, don't we? In other words, it would have been easy for them priests to say, well, there's still water here. I'm not stepping off in that, okay, until it's dry. God, you show me first that you can dry this up before I step off in it. You know what? You'll never step off in it. Trust God to take that first step of obedience and then see the mighty hand of God. Okay, we got to make that first effort. We've got to make that first effort to take that first step in trusting God. But God was truly causing Israel to step out in faith. And here's what we see. Reaching the promised land always, always, always requires a stepping out of faith. Whether that's you as an individual. Look, maybe God is calling you to a ministry. Maybe God is calling you to preach. And you've just been fighting that saying, I can't do that. You know, that's a Jordan. I'm, there's no way I'll be able to cross. You know why you can't cross it? Because you've never took that first step of faith. You've never been willing to take that first step of faith. God can work a work in your life as an individual if you're willing to take that first step of faith. God can work a work in a church if the people are willing to take that first step of faith. 
But if we're not willing to take the first step, listen, there will never be dry ground. Never be dry ground. Jesus is the fulfillment of the ark. He is Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Jesus has cleared the way to victory over all things if you'll just take that first step. Look, having disarmed the principalities. See if you've heard this said anywhere before. Having disarmed the principalities and power, he made a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, uh, over them on the cross. As we keep our eyes on him, and follow behind our victorious Lord, the river of impossibility will dry up. The only thing that can keep a church, the only thing that can keep an individual from the promised land that God has for you is you yourself, is the people themselves. I don't know, maybe God is calling you today to certain ministry or to volunteer to you know do something in the church maybe god is leading you to lead the way you know uh in that ministry um you know i've shared this with with you before especially our wednesday night sunday night crowd when people come to me and I've, i can't tell you how many times this has happened you know pastor i feel god is wanting us to start and they name a certain ministry i said wow that'd be great you know when are you going to put it together? Well, no, not me, for you. Well, God ain't told me. <laughs> if God told you, I'll give you all the support you need. The church will get behind you. But God hadn't called me to do that. He's called you to do that. But see, if that person's not willing to take that first step, they'll never get to that promised land that they feel God has called them to. What about you here today? Maybe God is calling you to something or, you know, what I have to look at is the pastor of the church is where God is leading us as a church. And, you know, what will I do about that? Will I be willing to follow God and, and trust that the people will follow me as I follow God? But maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. You know what? If you've never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior... The first promised land he has for you is salvation. Is salvation. In order that you can enter the promised land one day that he's gone away, <clears throat> excuse me, to prepare. But if you're here today and any type of decision needs to be made in your life, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that here in just a moment as we have a song of invitation. But don't leave this place today if you feel the Spirit of God is moving upon you to make some commitment to him today, some commitment. You make that commitment. Let's pray.